we are better together and uh, the power of us. I love, I love this theme. Um, you know, tomorrow night, for you that aren't aware, Franklin Graham is going to be here. One of, my, one of my big pushes in our community is that there's one church, just different expressions, and you're going to see a whole body of Christ come tomorrow night together. It begins at 7.30 out at the Dell Diamond parking lot. So you're going to want to bring a lawn chair or something just for, for you to have something to sit on. 7.30, um, uh, Crowder, David Crowder is going to lead worship uh, with us. It's going to, going to be an incredible thing for our community. Then after that, uh, there's going to be a time of prayer. Just, just praying together as a community. And then Franklin Graham is going to get up and share the gospel in uh, just a clear, concise calling. So this is one of those opportunities. If you've got somebody you want to know Christ, this is a great opportunity. And then, uh, and, and, and then they're going to top it all off with the fireworks uh, tomorrow night. But it starts at 730. You want to get there a little early, get you a good spot. But uh, it's going to be big. So I want to encourage you to be there. And it's part of that we are better together, the whole church of Jesus Christ. But um, I want to ask you some questions before we get into the Word of God today, just to get you to think introspectively within yourself, okay? I don't, I don't care what age you are in this first question, but if you were to get married today, okay, if you were to get married today, ladies, think within yourself. Who would be your maid of honor? Guys, who would be your best man? Just think about it. Today, uh, who, would, who would that be for you, okay? Think about that. Let's get a, bit, a little bit deeper. Let's say uh, you've got four attendants other than your maid of honor and other than your best man. Guys, who would those other four best men be? Ladies, who would those other four bridesmaids be for you? Just think. And if some of you are thinking, man, I had a hard time the first time. And so I, I don't know about this. So just think about it. I want you to just think about those people. And, and here's the deal. No family members. Okay. Somebody just saying, man, I had four brothers. I had that figured out. But uh, no, no family members. No family members. So I want you to think about that a little bit. All right, let's think about it this way. If you were to pass away, and uh, who are the six pallbearers? Ladies, you get six female pallbearers. Men, you get uh, six male pallbearers. Who would the pallbearers be that would carry your casket? You just think, no family members. No family members. And don't give me the cremation thing. We want six <laughs> pallbearers. Okay? Who, who would they be in your life? Okay? All right. Here's another one. Suppose you've reached a celebratory milestone in your life. I don't know what it may, it may be. Maybe a birth of a child or maybe you did get married or uh, uh, something that happened. Milestone, celebratory um, who would be, other than a family member, who would be that first person to text you or to get in touch with you to say, man, way to go? Who would that person be? Just, just think about that person, who they'd be in your life. One last one. What if you've come to a point of desperation somehow? Maybe uh, you lost a spouse. They passed away or a child has gone through something or you, you have gone through something uh, that's taken place in desperation. Who would be that person that would be the first to contact you? Who would be that first person to um, let you know they're thinking of you and that they care? See, th- this, these kind of things are community. We, we, these are the kind of things that those people are there 
uh, that God has put them in our life for this particular time, for such a time as this. And I, I think sometimes we, we don't know who it would be. I don't know. Uh, you know, we just start wrestling through those questions that are, that are there. Robert Putnam wrote a book. He actually wrote it in 2000, but it is still um, uh, used as a sociology book here in the United States. And the book is called Bowling Alone. Robert Putnam wrote it. And the, the premise is this, is that they started discovering in the end of the 90s, into the 2000s, that bowling leagues were shrinking, but people were bowling more than ever. And what they discovered is, is that people were no longer wanting to do it as community, but they were wanting to do it individualistic. And there was a move. And then they started looking at it deeper. And they saw that fewer people were volunteering, fewer people were giving to certain volunteer agencies because people were becoming isolated instead of more in, in the area of community. And they saw it as a problem. And it's something that has escalated even more today. God never intended for you to go through life alone. I know we look at the Old Testament and it said it's not good that Adam to be alone, so God made a helper suitable for him. But God did not intend. He intended for us to come together, to to have community. And that's what we're talking about. Some of you are from California, and you're very familiar with the redwood trees and the redwood forest there. A redwood tree can grow as much as 350 feet it can it can it can sky and it's massive. I, I have not had the privilege of going to California and seeing them, but I see the pictures and I see people standing before them and thinking, "Man, good night. That's huge. I mean, how how high up that that tree is going? However, it can go 350 feet up, but yet its root system will not go more than six to ten feet down. And you're thinking, "Man, it ought to fall over." Because if you're going to build a structure that high, think how what kind of foundation you're going to need to build a structure that's going to be like that. But here's the redwood, the mighty redwood. It can grow 350 feet. The roots only go six to ten feet deep. However, they go a hundred feet wide. And not only do they intermingle with other redwood trees, but they will actually, I read, fuse with other redwood trees. So that if that tree was standing alone, it's going to topple over. But because it's so connected to the rest of the redwood trees, it stands strong. Now, why is it such a, God, a great God illustration? Is because so many people are getting picked off because they're isolated and not a part of community. And God never intended for you to walk out your life in isolation. And men, let's be honest, we're the most guilty of this. And God is calling us to community. And that's why we're doing this series to look at this, I want you to, to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I want you to keep your Bibles open. Keep your Bibles open, Acts 2, 42. While you're looking at that, Andy Stanley, many of you have heard Andy Stanley on online speak. He's probably one of the best Christian communicators that exists today. But his church in Atlanta, North Point Church, started looking at people that, that had grown in their faith. In other words, they came to Christ, they matured in their faith, and they're walking out truly a godly life. And they tried to look at what was the things in their life that brought them to that part of maturity. You know, it, 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 something is a part of their life. It's not like they strategically did something. They want to know what was it that, and they saw five things, okay? They saw five things in each of these people's life. Number one is they saw, I'm going to read the Bible in just a second. Don't, don't, don't worry. Number one was, is they found that they had practical uh, religious teaching. In other words, they, they sat under 
good practical biblical teaching, uh, a practical regular teaching. Number two is they developed private disciplines. They prayed. They read the Bible on their own. It became real to them. They started doing that. Thirdly is that they uh, d- developed a personal ministry. They started serving other people. They got outside of themselves. So they had good regular teaching. They had private uh, disciplines that they were doing. They were serving other people. And number four was this, is that they had providential relationships. They had some other people in their lives who were their community. Now, there was a fifth one that existed, and it was called pivotal circumstances. They had certain things that happened in their life that, that were catalysts for them growing. But one of the biggest ones of those five was that they had providential relationships. They had people connected in their life, and because of that connection, they grew on to spiritual maturity. Premise today, before we read God's Word. If you're not growing spiritually, or you're not, you're not making movement on down the field, moving the ball down the field spiritually, could it be that you do not have those providential relationships in your life? We're going to look at that. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, just a little biblical background on, on, um, on this. Uh, the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. What happened, if you're new to the Scriptures, just a quick, quick thrust for you is that Jesus was killed on the cross. He rose from the dead three years later. He was 40 days uh, on the earth before God took him up, and, uh, and he ascended. Ten days later, he had told the disciples, isn't this interesting, that the first thing he told them was go get in community and pray. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit fell on them in an incredible way. Simon Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon. 3,000 people, uh, lives are transformed just like that. And the response out of that, now I want you to hear that again. The response out of that by the Holy Spirit is what took place. It wasn't like they planned it. God automatically did this, okay? So often, I think we're guilty of trying to plan things for God instead of letting His Spirit do it. Acts 2, 42-47 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People were coming to Christ daily uh, as they were being saved. Let me tell you a couple of things about the Scriptures, and then we're going to come back and break this down just a little bit. A couple of things about the Scriptures that I want you to get is, number one, is that the Bible was written to collective groups of people, okay? Yes, an individual can get out of it, but I want you to understand it was written to a collective group of people. The Old Testament had everything to do with the children of Israel. Those Scriptures were for that collective group of people. The New Testament was written to the church. And so when, when Paul would write a letter, it was to be read to the entire church. Why do I say that? Because it's, it's hugely important for us to understand that when we read the Scriptures, they, 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 a lot of times it is Texan and it's talk where it says you. It actually means you all because it's talking to everybody. So it's written to a collected group of people. Number two, God is very relational. Because we read in the Old Testament, right from the very beginning, 
The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father being God, Son being God, Holy Spirit being God, the three-in-one God, that there is this relational identity. But the all of Scripture is for us to come into relationship. You see, we had a broken relationship. Christ was sent so that we could come back into relationship with Him, okay? That's why Jesus came to forgive us, to bring us back into relationship. That's why when we see somebody uh, baptized, what's cool about that is that it's almost like there's a picture of this birthing into this new family, and that's what God desires is for us to develop a family type of community. But I want to get on to us here just a moment. I, had a, I heard an interview with a young lady who, um, who God had started dealing with her life about her sexuality. She was part of the LGBT uh, community. And uh, she really started feeling conviction in that particular area. In fact, she gave her life to Christ, and she became a part of a Christian church. And what she missed more than anything was not the sexuality. You know what she missed? The community. The church should have been the family and community, and that's what she was missing, even though she, she longed for what Christ had to offer her. We have to be careful here. We, we need to understand that what Christ did is he brought us into his family, and it ought to be a community that's developing. One, one other thing about the scriptures that I, that I want you to see, and then we'll look at this, is that when God, through his Holy Spirit, comes and changes a life, he automatically places you in his family, and that community is automatic from him. It ought to develop. So if it's not developing, it would concern me about where the spirit is involved. And what the enemy loves to do, and tell me if I'm not right here, the enemy loves to isolate you. I'll be honest. When I get hurt or something or I get drained, my initial default is not to run to community. It's to run to isolation. And you know as well as I do that once you isolate, you may as well be that uh, that deer out there on the on the plains that uh, the tigers are after, because he gets isolated and they eat him every time. I mean that's just the way it is. But but that's what happens. So many of us isolate, and the enemy picks us off. And we need community. Now here's the interesting thing about this passage of scripture, and I want you to look at verse 44 again. Just look at verse 44. He says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. English doesn't do justice to the scriptures. It was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And this particular word for together is a little word called epi, E-P-I, basically. Uh, epi, and it means this, they were in close proximity. So the first thing we see here is that God brought these people into close proximity. In other words, they hung out together. They spent time together. They spent time in the same room together. They had close proximity to one another is what happened. And, and I can tell you this. When a person begins to struggle spiritually in their life, they isolate from the rest of the body of Christ. I see it all the time. I mean, I've been doing this forever, it seems like, on church staff positions. And what I see is this. You're doing all right spiritually. You're connected with other people. Everything's running fine. All of a sudden, you get your feelings hurt or spiritually something happens in your life. There's this whisper in your head, nobody really cares. And so what you do is you start missing a little bit. Then you start missing a little bit more. I, I always have this thing is that if I, if I don't see anybody for a few weeks, 
if something doesn't happen, they're, they're either going to drift off or be somewhere else. So what a person does is they, they start to isolate, and then there's this uncomfortableness that comes into that isolation, and either they go to another church or they quit going altogether. And, and I'm telling you just straight on that if you do not deal with that, that cycle will play over and over and over again in your life. And uh, do I say there's not times that you need to go in another another congregation? No, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that there, I, isolation is always the beginning when there is a struggle that is taking place. Some of you know that right now. You know certain people that are no longer worshiping in any congregation because something happened, they isolated, and now they have completely isolated. And uh, and and yet it says that when the Spirit came upon these people, they were in close proximity to one another. Close proximity does not mean that you have community, though. Okay? In other words, I don't know, three, 350 in this room, 400, whatever. I can say in total uh, factual knowledge that many of you are not in community. You're just in proximity. And these people were in close proximity. It was part of who they were. And there's built-in accountability when you have proximity, but it does not mean that you have community. So go down to verse 46, okay? Verse 44 says that all believers were together and had everything in common. Now go down to verse 46, and it says this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The word together here is a different word in the Greek. In the English, it's just together. That's why the English kind of kind of lets you down sometimes. The first word was they were in close proximity. This together means that they have a deep emotional, spiritual connection that has taken place. You see the difference? One was they just were in close proximity. Number two says they had this bond that was taking place. This is what only God's Spirit can do in the lives of people. Only God's Spirit can connect you in a deep Holy Spirit connection that takes place. There's a oneness that only God can do. You remember in John chapter 17, Jesus was about to be crucified. He, he, he was, this was his high priestly prayer. He says this. He says, Father, may they be one as we are one. In other words, the, the, prayer, the prayer of Jesus was that his children would walk in a oneness. So when we walk in a oneness, and I'm not talking about in the same room, I'm talking about this, this connection. When we walk in that connection, we are actually an answer to Jesus' prayer. What an incredible thing that is, uh, that, that, that we can be an answer to his prayer. What's interesting is, is that this oneness is characterized by, by his presence and the agape love that comes with that. So here's a statement for you. You ready? Proximity does not guarantee community. However, true community will always bring about proximity. Layman's view. When you're walking in Christ's spirit as he desires for you to walk, not only will you be in the same room, but you'll be connected heart to heart. And we see in the Christian faith today, many people are attending, and, and this is a struggle always as a church gets bigger, especially when you get on the mega level, is you have proximity, but you don't have community. Our prayer here at Central is that we not only have proximity, but we have truly heart-to-heart -heart community. So I want to share with you right quick, I'm just going to list these out, five things that happen when there's true community. 
Okay, these are these are five things that are going to be available next week. I'm going to talk to you more on the how to's. How can you get more involved in community? But I want to talk to you right quick on elements of true loving community. And there's five of them. They'll be on the on the board. You can write them down. Just take notes. It helps you out. Number one is this. It takes honesty. It takes true heart to heart honesty. We are the most false people that exist on the planet. Start with Facebook. Okay. Everybody's perfect on Facebook. Because we're not honest. We're giving you a display of what we, what we want you to think about us. For true community to take place, there has to be honesty. Honesty that says, I'm willing to listen to the blind spots you see in me, and I am going to lovingly be able to love you in the blind spots that you have to help you see them. Why? Because I'm, I'm angry at you? No! It's because I want you to grow into all that God has for you. There's got to be honesty. But very few times does this happen. Very few times. But it needs to happen. That's why I want you to think about your best man or think about your maid of honor or think about those people who are in your life that love you regardless of how you are, man. They love you anyway and they're honest with you. So it takes honesty. Number two, it takes humility. It, it, it takes a willingness to put others ahead of yourself. That you are not number one. It doesn't matter who gets the who gets the credit as long as as long as God gets the glory and you take humility. You take you know the 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 hardest. They've discovered that in an orchestra, the hardest position, uh, hardest instrument for a person to play is second violin. Because everybody wants to be first, right? So to be told you're second anything. But where would an orchestra be without the, the first and the second? And, and but what I'm saying is this, is that are you willing to let others be in front of you? It takes humility. It takes that willingness to step aside. And it doesn't mean that you think less of yourself, but you think of yourself less. That's what humility is. So it takes honesty. It takes humility. Number three, it takes courtesy. Courtesy literally means this. I love you despite the way you are. And we need that. I need people that are going to love me as I am. Because listen, it's easy to love those that are beautiful, isn't it? And in our groups, we just want everybody that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. And we just want everybody in there that, that's perfect and looks like us and talks like us and smells like us and are just like us. Because they're easy to love. But what about that person who isn't like you? What about that person who needs that love more than anything else? That one that maybe is what I call Klingons. You know, they grab hold of you and they suck you dry. And, and, and you, need, you need those Klingons in there as well. Can we have that kind of courtesy to love people the way they are? You know, the reason some people don't worship anywhere today is because they walk in and think everybody's perfect and has it together. Now, we know they don't. But are they being loved on in, in the courtesy that's there Number four, it takes confidentiality. It takes open, honest living that can only be done in a safe place. It takes confidentiality. It takes safety. I guarantee you this, this is such a factor that no, no small group or no community group can become gossip group. You've got to have the safety there. What you say in community group, what you say in Bible fellowship stays there. You've got to have that kind of safety. You see, that's what the Spirit of God does. Is We see that the Holy Spirit starts bringing out this honesty and humility and courtesy and, this, and, and these confidentialities. But there's one more, and it takes frequency. 
It takes coming together. It takes more than just once a month. And that's why can a, somebody may ask, can a group of 30 actually develop community? Well, they can if you break down smaller in the midst of that. Can a group of 12 really develop community? Well, sometimes you can break down smaller than that. You remember Jesus, he had the 12, but he had three that were even closer. See, that's why you gotta, you got to look and, and see, okay, this is a beginning. Okay, we have Bible fellowship. This is a beginning. We have men's groups. We have ladies' groups. We have whatever group it may be. We have these different groups. And so we say these groups are good, but sometimes you got to break down even smaller because that's the only way you're going to have true community. It may be three. Two, two you almost need more than two because we learn to lie to each other. You need three. Somebody that can see through that. But it takes frequency of coming together. And guys... Community is not your wife. That's good community, but, but it's, not, it's not what I'm talking about here. Because so many men would say, oh, yeah, I'm close to my wife that way, and we have community. No. It's got to be, it's gotta be a place where you can actually get stronger as you rub shoulders and you iron sharpens iron. So here's the test today. How are you doing with Community. Oh, Mark, I wish you wouldn't talk about this. I, and, and, and listen, for you that know me well, you know that every time I get up and speak, I am, I am really flexing into my God's gift because I'm an introvert by nature. I, I, I am good to lock myself in my office. And uh, so some people use the excuse, well, I'd have better community, but God created me as an introvert, and so that's just the way I am. No, take it from one. It doesn't work that way. Here's the other one. You ready? I'll, I'll go ahead and share this one. Be transparent. So much of my life, because of the death of my father and other things in my life, I had these incredible abandonment issues that I would keep you right here. I could love you, but I wasn't going to let you get any closer than that. So some of you are like me. You think, oh, I've got those abandonment issues. No. Nah. No. Nah. God wants to set you free from those abandonment issues to let people in to really see what you're like. So how are you doing with community? Because it's something the Holy Spirit wants to do. Let me close with this. I'm one of those guys, I've been preaching long enough to know the difference between preacher stories and the truth. And there's a difference a lot of times. Preachers will share, share, share certain things to try to get a response out of you, and then there's truth. And so uh, I, I read a story about a, a, a thing called the Rosetto Effect. And I thought, man, what in the world is that? And, and it was a preacher telling the story, and I said, uh-uh. I'm going to check out the facts on it. And it, it's true. It's called the Rosetto Effect. For some of you in Pennsylvania, you, this, you may have heard this before. But uh, in 1960, there was two doctors that were talking. And one of the doctors, Rosetto is a community right outside of, of what an area called Bangor. Uh, Wade, is that, are you familiar with that in Pennsylvania? Uh, okay. But... Uh, it was right outside a community outside of what's called Bangor, Bangor uh, in that area. And so I went and read about this. It's called the Rosetto Effect. And what it is is, is that uh, the doctors were talking. The doctor was saying that all of the people in Rosetto are healthier than the people in Bangor, and they just can't figure it out, especially in the area of heart stress. They said they just don't have the heart stress that the people in Bangor. So they decided to do a study on this. And they started looking at these two groups of people. Now, in Rosetto, it's about a community of about 1,600 Italian-American uh, people that are there. And, and then you've got Bangor, which is the bigger area. And so they were studying this, okay? Did they, uh, 
did they eat differently? No, they discovered that the people in Rosetto ate just as unhealthy as the people in Bangor. Uh, that they did. Well, maybe maybe they they uh, exercised more. No, they were just as sedate in in uh, in Rosetto as they were in Bangor. Uh, maybe it's drinking or other lifestyle issues. No, they had the same same issues in both communities, and so they're confused now on these two people that seem to live healthily in the same way or unhealthy in the same way, and so they're trying to figure it out. And so they went to study into this group of people. And, and listen, it's, it's now been a, um, a 50-year study, okay? And what they discovered is, is that what made these people different than these people is that they had about three generations of Italian-American families that now lived in this community. And what happened is, is they had the safety of community. And with the safety of that community went down the negative heart situation and it gave them a safety and a security that the people over here didn't have. And it's called the Rosetto effect. And I thought, man, God, if you did that just in life in general, how much more do you want to do that in the body of Christ? How much more do you want to pull people out of their isolation, put them in a safe community, and we will see the health of the church go to where it's never been before? problem is, is when those, when we say amen in a few minutes, you're going to scatter to the wind. Now that's good because we got to get out of the fort and, and be salt and light to people. But so often that's going to be it. That's going to be your spiritual diet for the week. You need other people. I want to say one last thing and then, then we're going to pray. Because you're thinking, how is, what's my action item today? Here's your action item. Number one is this. If you do not know Christ, listen, that's where your relationship begins. I want you to know that God so loved you that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to not just love you, but to die on a filthy cross to take the sin of mankind for your sake. Let me tell you, that is courtesy and that is honest humility. That is, that is confidentiality. That is everything about loving you the way he's loved you. And he's given his life for you. And he is waiting for you to respond. See, that's how loving he is. He will not force himself on you. He is waiting for you to respond to that gift today. You want to know true community, it begins right there. But right behind that, it begins. And this one, the Lord just kind of reflected on me a while ago, is that it comes back to lordship. One of the things that keeps us from community so often is that we've given our life to Christ, but we've not let him on the throne of our lives. We still keep putting ourselves there. And as long as we keep putting ourselves there, we won't have community. So here's my challenge over the next few minutes as we enter into this prayer time. What is God showing you right now? Praise team, come. I want to I pray for us. Bow your heads with me. Do, do you know Christ? I don't mean know about Him. I mean, do you know Him? And then is He the Lord of your life today?